0: We're going to be in Matthew 24 to start with, verse 15, uh, and I'm going to stop at verse 31, and if we have time, we'll get into verses 32 through 35. Let me read to you Matthew 24, verses 15 through 31. Jesus is in the middle of explaining the signs of his coming in the end of the age, and he says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak, and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory." And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. Now, verse 15 describes the midpoint of the tribulation. If you were with us last week, you know we're looking at the tribulation period and what all is going to be going on. They asked him about the sign of his coming, the end of the age. And he began to lay out for them the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the birth pains. And so just keep that in mind. That's what we're looking at. And now we're about the midpoint of the tribulation period. And this is when the Antichrist is going to step into the temple and declare himself to be God and demand worship of him only. And he goes after the Jews to kill them. That's what I'm just going to, I laid it out for you, but we're going to look at prophecy that kind of explains this all to us. So go with me to Daniel chapter 11. Go to Daniel chapter 11. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of, of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 11 and verses 29 through 39. Now, as I've explained to you before, at the end of our study last week, if you remember, we looked at how to rightly divide the Word of God and how one part of a verse could be talking about one time period and the rest of the verse talking about another time period. How one verse could be talking about one period, and the very next verse talk about another time period. Then the verse after that jumps back to the previous. That's why a lot of people get caught up with prophecy, is they try to read it like it's all together, and you have to understand that God has different time periods, and you need to understand that prophecy jumps around. And so by reading it, You'll say, well, I know what time period he's talking about, but that doesn't mean the next verse is going to be talking about that. And you need to let the Spirit of God kind of show you how to put it together. This is one of those instances, and hopefully I'll be used to God to help you see that. In Daniel chapter 11, verses 29 through 39, it says, At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south. Now, we're in the middle of a prophecy, and I'll just give you a little heads up. <clears throat> Excuse me. The he that's referred to here is Antiochus Epiphanes. And he actually had his time period, if you will, on the earth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Between the time of Malachi and Matthew, Antiochus Epiphanes came and did some of the stuff that he did. It says, At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before, for ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged, and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make, may make, make they understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame and captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble, so they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. Now, I'm not done reading, but I want you to keep in mind, you see how the prophecy is showing us there's going to be this one who's going to come, and he's going to desecrate the temple. We know from history that Antiochus Epiphanes did that in that time period between Malachi and Matthew in the intertestamental period, that's when he did what he did. But we now know that Jesus has said, after Antiochus Epiphanes has already come and offered pigs on the altar, after that time period, Jesus in Matthew 24 says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand when you see that, he tells the Jews, you better run for your lives. So, was Jesus talking about Antiochus Epiphanes when he said, you see the abomination of de- when you see the abomination of desolation? No, he couldn't be, because it had already happened. He's speaking of it as a future time, and we see here the Antiochus Epiphanes, even though he's a real guy and really did offer pigs on the altar and desecrate the temple, he was a pre-picture, if you will, of the real guy that's coming, the Antichrist. God does that a lot. Gives you little glimpses of what's to come. But we see that that is going to happen before the end, before the appointed time. Look at verse 36. Now verse 36 starts talking about the Antichrist. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. Indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these, a god whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god." Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor and he shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. So here we see this one that's coming was pictured or pre-pictured, if you will, by Antiochus Epiphanes, who's going to still be coming at the time of the end, is going to magnify himself above all gods. He wants to be the one who's worshipped. By the way, Antiochus Epiphanes set up an altar to Zeus, a previously known god, where the prophecy says this guy is going to be exalting himself and not previously known gods. Go back to Daniel chapter nine, just one verse, verse twenty-seven. In the prophecy in Daniel nine twenty through twenty-seven about the tribulation period and what's going to be happening for the nation of Israel. In verse twenty-seven, the scripture says, "It says, and he, this is the antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That's one seven-year period. And for half of the week, that's the three and a half year period, he shall put an end to sacrifice." an offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So here's what Jesus is referring to. Yes, Antiochus Epiphanes, this prophecy said, was going to make an abomination of desolations, but it was a picture of what the Antichrist was going to do at the end time period, at the time of the end. Daniel 9 tells us that this Antichrist is going to make a covenant with many for one seven year period. Halfway through it, he's going to put an end to the sacrifice. Step into the temple and declare himself to be God. Oh, that's what Jesus was talking about, Daniel 9, verse 27. Go with me, though, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We have more information from Paul's teaching to the Thessalonican church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 12. The Thessalonian church was really caught up into what, the return of Christ, the end of the age, all this stuff, the rapture. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come Unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness, we know him as Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure and unrighteousness. So again, I don't have time to really break this passage down a lot to you, but we see here clearly Paul says the same thing we've been saying. There's going to be this one, this man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, who's going to step into the temple, declare himself to be God, not allow other people to be, other gods to be worshipped, just like the prophecy in Daniel said, just like in Daniel 11, Daniel 9. So folks, keep in mind that Jesus is now saying at the midpoint of the tribulation, remember he's going to make a covenant for a seven year period, At the midpoint of that, he's going to step into the temple and declare himself to be God and stop any worship of any other gods. Jesus says, when you see this, he's talking to the nation of Israel, because I really believe the Bible teaches that we won't be here. I'm going to give you some scriptures on that later on tonight if we have time. I believe the Bible teaches the church won't be here when that time period happens. And let me just say that to you real quick. I don't have time to show it to you here from this passage, but he talks about how the man of lawlessness won't be revealed until he who restrains him is out of the way. And I believe without question, don't have time to get into it tonight, that that is referring to the Holy Spirit's work through the church. And we're the salt of the earth. That slows the decay. But when the salt has been removed from the earth, things are going to get really, really bad. As bad as things are on the globe, the Holy Spirit is still doing a work of salting the earth. Let's be honest. As the election comes up, those of, let's just say, those who are on the side of evil don't want the church to vote because we slow the decay. So at the same time, keep in mind, I believe the Bible says that we will be removed, he who restrains the Holy Spirit's work through the church. When we're taken away, that's when the man of lawlessness will be revealed. I say that just simply for this reason. Too many Christians spend too much time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. The Bible says he won't be revealed until the church is gone. So if you know who he is, that's a bad thing. Okay? So don't waste your time trying to figure out is it this person or that? Go to Revelation chapter 13. Go to Revelation 13, verses 1 through 18. Again, in the prophecy in Revelation, it talks about this Antichrist. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 18. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and with ten diadems, diadems on his horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and authority. Remember, the dragon is Satan. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast. This is the Antichrist saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. By the way, anybody want to have any guess on how long 42 months is? Three and a half years. Anybody want to take a wild guess on how long three and a half years is? It's half of a seven-year prophecy, just like we've looked at. Do you understand what I'm saying? By the way, it's also 1,260 days. You'll see that all throughout the Scripture as well. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, That is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. By the way, just because you read saints doesn't mean the church is here. Keep in mind, were there Old Testament saints? Were they a part of the church? No, there's Old Testament saints and there's church age saints. There's tribulation saints. Just because the scripture says saints, people say, well, that's the church. No, there's Old Testament saints. There's church age saints. There's tribulation saints. So he's going after the tribulation saints at this point. And he was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now if anybody has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth and had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. This is the, the false prophet, by the way. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and it makes the earth and in its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause the beast sorry it might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain also it causes all both small and great rich and poor both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name now this calls for wisdom let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So again, as we put the prophecies together, the picture becomes clearer. There's going to be this Antichrist who steps into the wing of the temple. He was prefigured and pictured by Antiochus Epiphanes, but that wasn't the fulfillment, because after Antiochus Epiphanes, Jesus says, when you see, yet future, the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Jews, get out, get out of Judea, get out of Jerusalem, run for your lives, because as you're about to see, not only is this... Uh, individual going to declare himself to be God, step into the temple that's going to be rebuilt at that time. He's also going to make everybody worship him and take a mark or else you can't buy or sell. And as you're about to see, he's going to go after the saints, the believing Jews, even tribulation saints, people of Gentiles that come to faith during this time. He's going to go after them. Go to Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to have you read with me verses 1 through 6 and then verses 13 and 14. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, that's the Antichrist again, and on his head seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. By the way, who's the child that's going to rule rule all the nations with a rod of iron? It's Jesus. You're going to see that very clearly in prophecies coming up. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Am I going to take a wild guess how many days that is? I mean, how many? How, what time period that is? That's 42 months or three and a half years. It's a half of the tribulation period, just like the prophecy said. At the midpoint, he's going to declare himself to be God. Jesus says, when you see this, get out. Run for your life. And he's going to chase them into the wilderness, the scripture says. The, the woman is Israel. She gave birth to the Messiah, who's going to rule the world. He was caught up to heaven for a time period. He's going to come back and rule and reign. But during that time period that the Antichrist is on the earth, he's going to go after the Jews and anyone who believes in Jesus. Jump over to verse 13 of chapter 12. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. By the way, does anybody take a wild guess on how long that is? A time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years. It's again, it's all there over and over and over. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of this woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and to hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now, Jump back with me to Matthew 24. We're going to read to you again what Jesus said here and tell me it doesn't make a lot more sense because of everything we've just looked at. Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, where's that? That's the temple. Why is he in the temple? He's declaring himself to be what? To be God. And he's going to stop all worship of any other gods and you have to worship him only. He's going to have a false prophet we've already seen that's going to be having everybody worship him. There's going to be an image of the beast that's going to be, of the Antichrist that's going to be made, that's going to come to life, and it's going to make everybody worship him. They're going to do miraculous signs. Well, don't just take my word for it. Listen to what Jesus says. He said in verse 16, Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who's in the field not turn back to get his coat. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. By the way, real quick, we've touched on this before. Put a finger here and go with me to Colossians chapter 2. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Listen to Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you, In questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The church is not under Sabbath regulations like the Jews were. During that last seven year period, they're gonna go back under the law during that time period. The church is gonna be gone. Jesus isn't talking to Christians who are in the church. He's talking to the Jews because they're going to be going through this last seven-year time period. The church is going to be removed. God's going to be working in Israel, and he says, those are in Judea, run. Pray that your flight doesn't happen on a Sabbath. He wouldn't be talking to us because we're not under Sabbath regulations. They say, wait a minute, Jim, aren't we to keep the whole of the Ten Commandments? Yes, but the Ten Commandments are all pointing to who? To Jesus, and they're fulfilled in Jesus. Folks, I keep the Sabbath every single day. You know why? Because I have ceased to work for my salvation. I have put my full faith in Jesus Christ. I have ceased to work for my my going to heaven. I'm fully trusting in Him. And I have entered the Sabbath rest. The rest of Sabbath where you cease from your labors. And every single day I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, I'm already keeping the Sabbath. That's what it was talking about. It was pointing to Jesus and trusting in Him as your Savior. Now, so he's saying, and pray that it doesn't happen in the winter. Y'all do know a little bit about the globe, that it may be summer here, but it's winter somewhere else. That freaked me out, by the way, when I went on my first mission trip in July to Australia many years ago. When my knee let me play basketball, I would go on basketball mission trips. After playing in college, I wanted to keep playing and found some Christian ministries where we could I could still play basketball at a high level and go and share the gospel. And I went to Australia. Uh, El Salvador and Guatemala. I had the privilege of actually sharing the gospel with the El Salvador Olympic team because we played basketball against the Olympic team. By the way, the worst beating I've ever gotten a basketball game was when that team was playing the Olympic team from El Salvador. They killed us. We were supposed to play them two nights in a row, but they beat us so bad the first night, they didn't even play us the next night. It wasn't worth it for them. But I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with them. And then in the next year or so, we, I got a team, another team together and we went to Australia. I was so excited they gave us our uniforms and everything and all our travel gear. And they gave us long pants that had thick lining and coats that had thick lining. And I'm thinking, it's July. Little did I know, when you land in Australia and Sydney in July, we actually played one game outdoors in snow. So if Jesus said, pray that your flight doesn't happen in the winter, if he's talking to the church, he's telling the church to pray against the other side of the globe. He's not talking to the church. He's talking to the Jews. But those who are in Judea, he's talking to the nation of Israel. Now, the Bible says he's going to chase, the Antichrist is going to chase the Jews into the wilderness. Let me just real quickly, I go into this in a lot more detail in my study of the book of Revelation and so on. If you want to go to my website and go there and look at the Revelation studies, I'll give you that. You can just go there. But I think the Bible actually tells us exactly where they're going to be. It's in the area of Edom, Moab, and actually an area called Basra. Go real quick with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 63. For years, I thought that when Jesus returned to the earth and came and set up his kingdom, the first place he stepped foot was on the Mount of Olives. Because you know, he ascended from the Mount of Olives, and the angels said, this same Jesus will return in the same way. And then I know the prophecy in Zechariah said that he was going to step foot on the Mount of Olives and it was going to be split. And for years, I thought that Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives and that he was coming back straight to the Mount of Olives. But the more I studied the scriptures and the prophecies, the more I realized, I think he's coming back to where the Jews are going to be hiding. Remember, we've already looked at how they're going to look on him whom they pierced and they're going to weep and they're going to mourn. And he's going to come back to where they are and he's going to defeat his enemies from there all the way through the Battle of Armageddon, the Valley of Jezreel, and defeat his enemies all the way to Jerusalem and ascend the Mount of Olives. Listen to Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. Who is this who comes from Edom, in crimson garments from where? From Basra. He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who who is treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood. On the earth. By the way, you'll see that parallels with uh, Revelation 19 tremendously as Jesus comes back and defeats his enemies and pours out or tramples the wine wine press of God's wrath. Go to Isaiah 34. But he, the Bible said in the 63 he was coming from Bosra. Look at Isaiah 34 verses 1 through 6. Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it the world and all that comes from it for the lord is enraged against all the nations and fury destruction has given them over for slaughter their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise the mountains shall flow with their blood and all the host of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll does that not sound like what jesus talked about in matthew 24 and all their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine like leaves falling from the fig tree For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, and with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice where? In Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. I believe that Jesus is going to come back to where the Jews are hiding. In the wilderness. But they're going to be protected for three and a half years in the area of Edom which is in an Bas- area of city, area called Basra. Go with me to Micah chapter 2 real quick. Look at verses 12 and 13. Now, Warren, you got your King James over there, right? You don't have King James? Someone have a King James on them? You have King James? All right. No, I need King James. Someone pull up on your Bible app. The, someone have American Standard. Does anybody have ASV? Okay, you have ASV? I turn to Micah chapter two, verses twelve and thirteen. It's a lot clearer in the ASV and the King James. But I want someone to read this for us, good and loud, from Micah chapter two, verses twelve and thirteen. Okay, now I didn't hear what I was looking for. That's American standard or art? Yours does say Basra. Read yours for us, Sheila. All right, and then it goes on. Here it goes before them. You see it? The sheep of Basra. This prophecy said that he's going to lead them out from Basra. And they're going to be partying and noisy and celebrating. He's going to go from where they're hiding and where he's going to come and forgive them and atone them. Atone for their sins. He already paid for it through his, through his death on the cross and his resurrection. But he's going to wash them clean and they're going to worship him as he goes and defeats his enemies all the way to Jerusalem. Now, go back to Matthew 24. I'm not going to take the time to read it for you, but as we can see clearly from Jesus' teaching here, when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period, everyone will see it at the same time. And the Bible actually says we're going to be coming with him. And then there's going to be a harvest of the righteous who are left at this time. This is when, it, the, we, well, at the end of 24, go to verse 29. We see how it parallels with the prophecy we just read. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now for years people tried to figure that that was the rapture. I'm going to show you that it's not. Again, we've already been raptured prior to all this stuff happening. We're not. The church is not here during the tribulation period. But there is a harvest at the end of the age. There will be people that survive during the tribulation period. Remember, Jesus himself said, those days are going to be so bad. If God didn't cut them short, no human being would live. And you remember our last week in the prophecies we looked at in Jeremiah, how he's going to make man almost as scarce as gold, you know, and so on. Now, Jesus says that when he comes back, though, everyone's going to see him at the same time. And there won't be any, hey, the Messiah is over here or over there. He says, no, everybody will see it at the same time. Go to Revelation chapter 19. Look at verses 11 through 21. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Didn't we, didn't we just read that in Isaiah 63? And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. We all know who it is now, don't we? John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word well, you know, it became flesh and many dwelling among us, verse 14 says. The Word was God. His name is the Word of God, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. We're following him on white horses. By the way, that's us. You know, the Bible's already shown us in earlier in our study a few weeks ago that we're going to be clothed in white robes, which are the righteous acts of the saints, and we're going to come with him. And he's the only one that's going to be stained in blood as he comes and defeats his enemies. We're going to be coming because he's, well, we just read it in Isaiah 63. He's doing it all himself. Keep reading. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. There it is again. He'll tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe, and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And with it the false prophet who in the presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest of the slain, but the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Jump back to Revelation chapter 14. Look at verses 14 through 16. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, it's Jesus, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar the angel who has the authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. By the way, Again, we're not doing a study of the book of Revelation. We're doing a study of Matthew. I don't have time to break this into too much detail. But as you have already seen from the prophecies, when Jesus comes back, he's going to tread the winepress of the wrath of God all by himself. He's going to defeat all his enemies. Their blood is going to be splashed all over him. And he's going to kill them all, except for the ones who are righteous. They're going to be gathered at this time. All the ones on the globe who survived, who hadn't taken the mark of the beast, who are worth believing in God, who have been helping Israel out. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 25. But the Bible actually says that when he does this, the blood is going to flow as high as a horse's bridle, about six feet, for 1,600 stadia. By the way, for those of you that are into prophecy and anything, that is the exact length of the valley of Armageddon. Remember, they're all going to be gathered there to fight against Jesus when he comes back. And he's going to defeat them, and the blood in that valley is going to be six feet high the whole length. Of the valley. By the way, you better get on his side. He's going to win. Go to Matthew 13. Go to Matthew 13. Look at verses 24 through 30. Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the weed and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? He said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jump over to verse 36 of chapter 13. Verse 36, Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world, and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and He'll gather out of His kingdom all that causes sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, He who has ears let him hear so here again at the end of the age is going to be a harvest of the earth the righteous are going to be gathered from all over the globe and kept on the earth the unrighteous the wicked are going to be gathered and taken away for judgment that's important for when we get to later on in Matthew 24 because I don't have time to get into it tonight and I can tell by what time it is now and how far I am in my notes we won't even get half as far as I thought we're going to get tonight but let me just say this in Matthew 24, later on, you're going to see where Jesus talks about two people are going to be working at the mill, grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. And two will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. And for years, myself included, Christians tried to read that as the rapture. It's not. As you're going to see when we get there, and I'm just going to touch on it now, we'll go into more detail then. He said, As it was in the time, days of Noah, one will be taken and one will be left. Let me ask you a question. In the days of Noah, who was taken? Who was left? Were the righteous taken or were the righteous left? The righteous were left. In the time of Noah, the ones taken were the ones taken in judgment. They were all killed. The ones who were left were the righteous who stayed on the earth. There's going to be a millennial kingdom. There's going to be a ruling and reigning of Jesus on the earth. There's going to be humans who survived the tribulation period, who are going to be given righteousness enough to enter the kingdom because of how they treated the Jews. We'll get to that when we get to the sheep and the goats. Sheep and the goats isn't tied to the church either. It's tied to those who, during that time period, how they treated Israel. I'll show you that from Joel chapter 3 and other places. But understand that, at the, like it was in the days of Noah, the ones taken were the ones taken in judgment. The ones who were left were the ones who were left. And remember, there's going to be a harvest. The ones who are wicked are going to be taken away to be burned. The ones who are righteous are going to be left. They're going to be gathered all from all over the globe. And they're going to be gathered to Jerusalem to where Jesus is going to be and the kingdom is going to begin. Go to Isaiah 13. Again, I want you to always check everything I say against the Scriptures. That's why I bond me with so many passages. Let the scripture speak. I don't want you to say, well, I believe what Jim believes. That's dangerous. You believe what the scripture says and what the spirit of God shows you. My job is to study and to pray and to teach and then let the spirit of God do his work. In Isaiah 13, look at verses 6 through 13. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed, pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They'll look aghast at one another and their faces will be aflamed. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind more than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. So what did Jesus say when you see this stuff happening? At the end of those days... This is what's going to happen. The earth is going to be shaken. There's going to be a massive earthquake that levels every city on the globe, except Jerusalem. It will be split into three parts, and the center part will be raised up. The prophecies all point to the sky receding, the sun going dark, and all this. But he's also going to gather at that time. Go to Joel chapter 2. Joel. Joel chapter 2, verses 30 through 32. 32. Joel chapter 2, verses 30 through 32. God says, and I'm going to show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. There's going to be blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls, jump over in chapter 3 to verses 9 through 16. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. By the way, that's the valley of Armageddon. Mount Megiddo, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold, to the people of Israel. Again, do you not see that the Bible, all through the Old Testament and the New, is showing us that there is a day of judgment coming on the whole earth? Now, please don't hear me wrong in what I'm about to say. I believe that we, as the church, should be sharing the gospel so that people can come to know Jesus. Our focus should not be making the world a better place. It's not going to happen. We've been taught how the church is going to change the world. We're going to bring in everlasting righteousness. No. No, the Bible says things are going to get worse and worse until the time of the end. There comes a point where God says the church age is over. He's going to take us to be with Him. He's going to finish the prophecies that He's already said because He's all got it laid out. It's all put together, His timetable. He's going to finish what He started with Israel and the prophecies. He's going to redeem them. He's for a time put them on hold for us to be saved, but He's not done with Israel. But when they go through that time period, it's going to be a hard time period for them, but they're going to, some are going to be saved out of it. The world will be judged during that time. And folks, things are getting worse and worse. And we keep thinking, and if we Christians would just get together and vote, we can listen Vote. You've been given a privilege. You're going to be held accountable before God with how you, how you vote. He's going to hold you accountable for that. I believe it without question. But don't think for a second that we're going to lose if we don't know. You, Your God already controls all that. He determines who's in power and who's, in not, who's not. And if he's determined that it's time for someone to be in power that we may not like, he's God and we're not. Oh, you better vote appropriately because you're going to be held accountable for it. But don't think for a second. If we can rally enough people, we can change things. We can turn things around. A lot of people like to say, well, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, caught by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and hear their land. The problem is, you're taking it a little bit out of context. Is there a truth to that? That sometimes God in his mercy and his, and his grace would turn and give a nation a little more time? Course, we've seen we've seen Nineveh do that. But have you also read in Ezekiel chapter 14? that? In, you go and double check me. In Ezekiel 14, God says that if I've determined that judgment is coming on a nation, even if Jonah, Noah, and Daniel were in that city, they'd be spared because of their righteousness, but the judgment won't stop. So don't think that if we just pray, it'll all be stopped. Pray. Be the salt. Be the light. But don't try to change America. Try to point people to Jesus where the only real change happens. And if there's a time that we get some relief, and that there is a time of people responding, and there is a revival because God chooses to give it, thank Him for it. But don't go beyond that thinking we have the power to make things not be bad anymore Read your Bibles. Jesus has said it over and over and over. It's going to get worse. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth, Jesus said in Luke chapter 18. Folks, be faithful, but don't get a bellyache over the fact that we're not winning. Jesus did say, we've already seen it in Matthew, you don't want me to have to go back and start over, do you? He said, He said, Wides the path that goes to destruction, and many go that way. Narrows the road that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Again, does that mean we give up? No. Keep sharing. Keep loving. Go ahead, listen. Our responsibility is just to be salt and light and just share it. Whether we actually slow the decay or not, not up to us. Because honestly, if someone believes, really you had nothing to do with it. You know what I'm saying? If they respond, God did it. If they reject it, Satan's blinded their eyes. You were faithful, though. You'll be rewarded for sharing the good news. So don't think, well, I'm not really being very effective. Well, let me ask you a question. uh, Sorry, not Jonah. Noah preached for 120 years. Did he not? The Bible says he preached for 120 years. Was he faithful? Yes. The Bible says he was. How many people responded to, to Noah's preaching? Eight. Eight. And the rest of the world was judged. Be faithful to do what he's asked you to do, Alyssa. Don't worry about how well you're doing. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, if we're not involved, what good is it? Did you understand the balance here? We're to be involved. Otherwise, we're losing our saltiness. We're to speak lovingly. and, and, and But don't think that as we get enough people, we can turn things around. The Bible says they won't be turned around. I'm glad you all feel better about that now. I do we got time to deal with this tonight. The Scriptures do teach, though, that Jesus will have come and gathered His church to Himself prior to this time period. So the gathering of the elect, like I just talked about, is not the rapture of the church. Go to Revelation chapter 3. The rapture of the church will happen prior to what we just read in Matthew 24 at the end, and then the harvest at the end. Revelation chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 13. Now keep in mind, as Jesus wrote he, and he spoke, he was speaking to specific churches. But in each of these letters to the seven churches, he said, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He didn't say, hear what the Spirit says to this church. He was speaking specifically to each church, but he also made a promise to each church that applied to all of the churches. In Revelation chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 13. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear let him hear here with the spirit says, to the churches. He's already said to the churches, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world. Go to First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verses 9 and 10. Paul's talking about this church in Thessalonica and how they, res- the people there in that town responded and it was obvious that God did it and word had spread and they heard in verse 9 they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to god from idols to serve the living and true god and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come the church won't be here during that time period we're going to be spared that time of trial that's actually if you go back to daniel chapter 9 and you look at the prophecy about the seventy sevens or the seventy weeks, seventy sevens are decreed for Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Not the church, is the difference. Go to First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five, look at verses one through eleven. Look closely how Paul words this. He said, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon who? Them, as labor pains, come upon a pregnant woman. That sounds familiar. And they will not escape, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Again, we're not destined for that time period. That's something else. Remember, you know how to rightly divide the word. You need to understand this is that time period, and this is that time period, and this is those people are going to be in that period, and these people are going to be in that period. And He has a purpose and a plan. Was well, not salvation to the Jew first and then the Gentile? God has a purpose and a plan for different people in different time periods. The church won't be here during that time period. We've already touched on it, or else he wouldn't have said, pray that your flight doesn't happen on a Sabbath. We're not under Sabbath regulations, but the Jews will be during that time period. I could go into this more, but hopefully you get the idea. The church won't be here. The church won't be here. Then why are we looking at it? Why do we study Revelation when most of it has been written for the time period where John's told in chapter 4, come up here and I'll show you what's going to take place after this. After he gets the message to the churches, he's told, come up here, I'll show you what's going to take place after this. And from that point on, John sees everything from a grandstand view in heaven. He sees the church and the 24 elders in heaven. And all that stuff happens during the tribulation period. Why are we to study it? We're not going to be here. Oh, aren't you glad Daniel wrote about what he saw that wasn't for his time period? He was told when he asked, what are the signs of this going to be? And he said, not going to happen in your lifetime. You're going to go rest with your father. So this is for a time of the end. Jesus is telling them, watch for this, watch for that. Isn't he doing that in Matthew 24? Watch for the false Christ, watch for the wars, the rumors of wars, the plagues, the, all this stuff that are the beginning of the birth pains. And when you see the abomination of desolation, you, he's given them specific things to watch for, is he not? Yet, if you remember in Acts chapter 1, the disciples came to him after he rose from the dead and had been teaching about the kingdom of God for 40 days. And they said, are you now going to restore the kingdom into Israel? And what did he say to them? It's not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. You're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and almost parts of the earth. Folks, we're not to be caught up in trying to figure out when. We're to be sharing that it's happening, it's gonna happen. Know what the Scripture says, and hopefully people that get saved during the time period of it is the tribulation will be able to say that you were faithful like Daniel or Jeremiah to talk about those things that weren't for your time period, but they were for them. So know the truth, share it, leave the results to God. And I think we're going to stop right here. because We're running out of time. Next week we will deal with Matthew 24, verses 32 through 35. And we'll deal with the generation. This generation will not pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. What generation was he talking about? You've got to come back next week for that. Love you.